This week in KMA Land, Page County officials seek legal counsel on wind turbines. Montgomery County supervisors set turbine moratorium. Star-spangled Shenandoah deemed a success. Strong storms caused Tabor power outage. Fremont County reaches railroad flood damage settlement. And Glenwood's pool closes early for the summer. I'm Mike Peterson. With litigation looming on the horizon, Page County officials this week opted to seek legal advice regarding a proposed wind turbine project. At its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the Page County Board of Supervisors unanimously approved hiring Allers and Cooney to assist the county in seeking additional information on Invenergy's Shenandoah Hills project. The farm would straddle the Page-Fremont County line south of Shenandoah. While the project has mostly satisfied the county's ordinance on wind energy conversion systems, Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong says a few issues linger, including turbines potentially too close to an AM transmitter tower for KYFR in Shenandoah. In addition, one turbine is located only a quarter mile away from the Wabash Trace, and additional background information is requested on the company's environmental study. However, Supervisor Chuck Morris says the board didn't have much choice since County Engineer J.D. King already signed off on the project as the county zoning administrator. For the safety and security of the county, I think we need some advice beyond what we have in-house on the legality of that. Because, quite frankly, if we approve or deny, either way, I think the county is going to face some litigation. And I would rather know where we stand and we can posture the county in the best way for that pending litigation. Additionally, Morris's the law firm has worked with several other counties in the state on similar issues. While the matter would fall outside an existing contract with the law firm, he suggests sharing as much information as possible to gauge their opinion. We need to send them our ordinance. We need to send them the permit. We need to send them the objections we've heard from Page County Horizons and have them weigh in on you know, to, to get kind of a, the landscape and then have a meeting with us with their uh, with their feedback. Both Armstrong and Supervisor Jacob Holmes agreed that counsel was necessary given potential litigation regardless of the board's decision on the project. Morris adds the situation is new waters for the board and other county officials, including Page County Attorney Carl Songson and J.D. King. Earlier in the meeting, the board once again heard from Page County Horizons on Invenergy's proposed wind farm. Mary Ann Gibson, a landowner in the Lincoln and Morton Townships, says the board should seek additional information regarding the outside firm conducting the environmental study and Invenergy's statement in their application that, quote, no federally listed birds, bats, or endangered species habitats or nesting areas are located within a mile of the project. I am suggesting that you request of Invenergy that they provide a copy of the supporting data, which was gathered in the surveys, which have led to those conclusions. And that would allow you verification to assure that you're providing due diligence to this aspect of their application. She adds information shared with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Iowa DNR suggests the board should be able to request the background information easily. Gibson says the extra information would provide some confirmation for the residents living within the project. Maybe they've covered all their bases. I certainly hope they do. I don't think that they would misrepresent that. Surely they wouldn't. But I think that those of us who live in the environments where the turbines are going to be placed out, we see things, we alert 
you know, oh, there's a new eagle's nest, such and such a place, have you seen it? That kind of thing. And without knowing what they have cited in their statement, we don't have any way of knowing. Gibson also recommended having a time frame for a response. The board intends to instruct the Page County Auditor's Office to communicate with the firm and provide the necessary information. New end-to-energy projects are on hold in Montgomery County, at least for now. By unanimous vote Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors approved a one-year moratorium on wind turbine projects with the caveat that it could be extended or suspended at any time upon board approval. Board members took action after County Zoning Administrator Barry Byers discussed the need for the County Zoning Board to review and update the existing wind ordinance, a two-page document written in 2007. For a large utility scale windmill is essentially the tower height right now, which is well below state average because tower height is around 300 feet right now. And most counties are a thousand feet or one and a half times tower height. After speaking with buyers and county attorney Drew Swanson, Supervisors Chair Mark Peterson agrees the county should hold off on new turbine projects until the current ordinance is reviewed. The feeling is since our ordinance will be considered weak at this time, that could be worse than having no ordinance at all, because it'd be pretty easy for somebody to say, hey, this is what you got in place, this is what we're working with, so we need to just, for my phrase is, tap the brakes. However, Peterson adds the moratorium isn't permanent. We're not necessarily going to disallow windmills forever, turbines forever, but we need to give the Zoning Commission time to get a up-to-date regulation put together and rather than having a a large-scale company saying hey these look really favorable let's get something going right now so we need to just in my opinion we need to put it out there that for the time being we're not accepting applications supervisor donna robinson suggested contacting other area counties with turbines and ordinances already in place such as Adams or Cass counties, for example. Obviously, Page County is sitting in a situation where it's very controversial, and that may happen as well. But I would like to see us look at ordinances that are obviously successful. I know Mills, even having talked to a Mills County supervisor, you know, they've got something in good standing as well. Myers says the zoning board's goal is to craft a middle-of-the-road ordinance, one that's fair to both companies and residents. He hopes the board's first meeting on wind issues takes place later this month. Like other KMA land communities, Shenandoah pulled out all the stops in celebrating the nation's birthday this week. Rain that washed out last Saturday's star-spangled Shenandoah parade left the community long before the nighttime fireworks display at Sportsman's Park. Shenandoah Police Chiefs Josh Gray and Water Department employee Bryston Duckerson coordinated this year's program. While not having a crowd estimate, Gray tells KMA News the public perception was good based on the post-fireworks applause. I couldn't leave down where I was at once we got everything going with the fireworks, but when it was all done and it got quiet, I heard all the hoot and holler, and so I'm assuming it was a pretty good turnout, and everyone really enjoyed the fireworks. Nor did Saturday morning showers scare away vendors. Gray says reports indicate good crowds flocked to Priest Park earlier in the day to sample the assembled array of vendors. Planning is already underway for next year's fireworks program. The chief says one goal is to raise more more money for more firing equipment and a bigger show for 2023. We were at full capacity this year, so we couldn't do any more. So our full intentions are if we raise enough money, we want to buy another machine, and then we can shoot up to 600. And then 
the biggest ones we did this year, like I said, was five inch. We want to get up to some six and eights for next year's show. Ray confirmed Shenandoah police received complaints and issued citations to residents violating the city's fireworks ordinances. However, he doesn't believe the complaints warrant another review of the laws on the books. I don't think, honestly, what I'm reading right now in logs that we had more than last year. I think we, I think we were under that. So I, I think we, everyone started to follow it. I think it helped that we did cite a few people that may have gotten a little bit of people's notice, you know, their notification, and they paid attention a little bit. Under the city's ordinances, July 4th was the last day residents could legally shoot off fireworks until New Year's Eve. Fireworks of a different sort disrupted electricity for some Fremont County residents this week. Mid-American Energy customers in Tabor were impacted by the storm activity originating in South Dakota and moving northwest to southeast across the state Tuesday night through early Wednesday morning. Mid-American spokesman Jeff Greenwood tells KMA News power outages reported in Tabor at around 2.30 a.m. Our crews arrived and found trees on overhead lines located uh, at the 600 block of Main Street and also at Elm and West Streets. Additionally, separately, there was a broken uh, power pole at the 300 block of Vine Street. So our crews called in a tree crew to remove the tree debris uh, from the overhead lines so they could work safely on those lines. Greenwood says just under 200 customers were impacted by the Tabor power outage. Services were restored to all but about six customers by noon as crews continued repairs in a broken power pole in the 300 block of Vine Street. About 15,800 customers statewide lost power as the result of storm activity. Greenwood says MidAmerican's crews were on standby and repairs took an all-night effort. We saw things coming. We saw that storm developing in South Dakota. and In fact, it, we understand it was a derecho at that point, and it was moving uh, toward northwest Iowa. And so we started to put crews on standby. We held crews past their regular shifts in northwest Iowa, as well as in central Iowa and western Iowa. Uh, as we saw that storm rolling in, it started to do damage, and we got our crews uh, right on the road to start uh, making repairs. And that's what uh, they did throughout the night. Power was restored to most customers by early Thursday morning. Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad is covering at least a portion of the flood-related damages to Fremont County's railroad crossings. At its regular meeting Wednesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors approved a settlement with BNSF for payment for damages incurred at the Barlin and McPaul rail crossings from a Missouri River flooding of 2019. Fremont County Engineer Dan Davis told KMA News the settlement entails a $400,000 payment from the railroad to cover a portion of the repair costs. Davis says the settlement comes after negotiations between the county and the company. You know, we did our best, you know, to convey the different places, you know, how much it entailed. And this was to their uh, Lincoln Claims office. And like I said, we did our best there and we did get a settlement. Davis says both crossings suffered extensive damage from floodwaters. Estimates placed the damage to the Bartlett Crossing at around a million dollars, while the McPaul Crossing sustained around $1.4 million in damage. The two crossings were, you know, kind of expensive because it had to come out of our local funds. It was not deemed flood damage with those roads being the federal highway, which, you know, federal highway usually pays 80-20. Well, they excluded the ramps, let's call them ramps, you know, the uh, roadway to slope up and, and hit where the new 
tracks were raised to, and about each of those were probably 250000 apiece. Davis says the county is happy to recoup at least a portion of the cost. It pretty much wipes the slate clean, and, you know, we accept that as, you know, best we thought we could do. But it's a lot better than nothing, I think, which happened in 2011. So Glenwood residents will have to find another place to swim the rest of summer now that the city's pool is closed for the season. Glenwood City Administrator Amher Farnham told KMA News the city council recently came to the decision after nearly a month had passed since a piping issue delayed the initial Memorial Day opening for the Glenwood Aquatic Center. Farnham says the initial repairs took longer than expected due to the pipe's location requiring the break-in and re-pouring of concrete to the pool deck. However, just as those repairs were beginning to wrap up and the pool was beginning to be refilled, more trouble struck. And in that process, another pipe that had previously been working cracked, and then also we were leaking some water. So the decision was made to close the pool for the rest of the season so that we could go through and, and do a comprehensive look at everything at the pool to see if there's any other issues that might come up. Ultimately, Farnham says the council's decision came down to the lengthy repairs of fixing the leak. That is going to require us to drain the pool completely again, have it completely dried out, fix it, and then seal it, and then repaint. And, and the timeline for that was just a little too long than we just didn't think it, we would have much of a pool season after that. Farnham says the hope is to take the remainder of the 2022 season and fall to work with engineering firms to identify what caused the piping issues and leakage. However, she adds the council did not take the decision lightly. They were hesitant to make the decision just in the fact that they know how important it is for us to have the pool available for our residents and our citizens. And they're just as frustrated as everybody else. It was not an easy decision to make or one that they took lightly at all. Farnan says the council will also offer full refunds to all those who purchased a full season or half season pass. City officials say those who had already submitted a half season refund request will automatically be covered to a full refund. For any further questions or information, contact Glenwood City Hall at 712-527-4717. Page County officials are still troubleshooting issues regarding the county's emergency management and countywide radio system. On Tuesday, the county's Board of Supervisors discussed three main areas of concern in the department with Page County Sheriff Lyle Palmer. After considerable discussion, the board approved contracting with Montgomery County for a $5,000 annual fee to record the county's dispatch radio traffic. The hope is to cover the cost with American Rescue Plan Act funds. Palmer says the county currently shares with the Clarinda Police Department server, which among other issues primarily is failing to record all radio traffic from county dispatch. Thus, he says former EMA Director Chris Griebert was already discussing contracting out the recording to Montgomery County. We do that. We have a login where we log into their system, pull our radio traffic that we need for court cases, for any other emergency things, just basically for any of our calls put cases together, whether it's an ambulance call or a high crime call. Additionally, Palmer says there is no contract for maintenance and oversight of the county's use of the current server. Supervisor Chuck Morris says the county could have some serious litigation issues within the recording of the county's radio traffic. However, he says the current setup did present the possibility. It's kind of a gerrymandered uh, analog to digital device that has never been hooked up down in the room. As I understand it, to buy the recording uh, apparatus is about a half million dollar expense. That's why Fremont County, Taylor County uh, are hosted by Montgomery, because uh, for $5,000 you can 
uh, you can do that a lot of times versus 500,000. But with dispatch switching to a Motorola console, Morris says the current devices could present compatibility issues. Palmer says the county is also facing issues with other EMA equipment on the rural water tower outside of Shenandoah, as discovered by crews recently inspecting the tower. They found some loose connections. They also found uh, water had got into one of the cables through a loose connection, I'm assuming. And one of our receive antennas had been struck by lightning um, multiple times, they said. Additionally, Palmer reported wiring issues with EMA generators due to an unfortunate culprit, mice. We've been down on the generator for some time. We first thought it was just a sensor. And we found out that for some reason there was nothing to keep rodents out of there. I know mice bait, anything like that. But, uh, Jacob, I'm sure you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You put a combine away, you fill it with balls. You put mice bait, everything else away. Uh, nothing in the generator, so we had mice or rodents, we'll put the chewed uh, some wires. While the part was eventually replaced, Palmer says the $27 cost for the preventative measures likely could have saved the county thousands of dollars in repairs. Morris says potential service contracts for the server and generator will likely be at the board's meeting next week. Efforts to spur housing development in Red Oak and Montgomery County continue. Montgomery County development officials and area architects updated the Red Oak City Council Tuesday night regarding possible housing incentives. Montgomery County Development Corporation Executive Director Steve Adams says the discussion comes after Acorn Development expressed interest in positioning the city to offer housing incentives. Derek O'Neill, an architect with Ali Pointer Macchiato Architecture, says one of the main areas to incentivize housing is to attract the developers themselves. He says one way is to freeze property tax rates before a house is constructed. We freeze property tax value at the value of the land without improvements until the house has been sold. Again, that helps, you know, you build a $500,000 house and if it takes 18 months to get that sold or two years or however long that is, you're carrying those costs for the builder or the developer. O'Neill says options include the $0 lot or city utility costs, including waiving sewer and water hookup fees or monthly minimum charges during construction or until the house is sold. However, O'Neill emphasized the consumer also needs incentivizing, even including a paycheck given to residents for moving to the community. One suggestion involves a $26,000 city development loan providing one year of various utility and community costs. City water and sewer services a family city pool pass, we have some miscellaneous services with garbage and internet costs, and then we have some family scenarios, a family YMCA pass, a discounted family country club membership, Wilson Performing Arts Center passes, and Red Oak Community School District activity passes. O'Neill says several possible groups have confirmed they would be willing to participate in the program. He says the loan would be paid back through property taxes on the home with the length depending on the house's value. He adds it works to keep an inflow of property taxes compared to abating the charges for several years, which he says can also be an abrupt change for property owners. However, O'Neill adds the program likely would need to be permanent. At some point, we hope you know there's enough homes that are built that you don't have to play these types of games and things to get uh, to get people to move here and get people to buy these homes. But right now, there's a housing demand, but there's not the, the people willing to take the risk in Red Oak at the moment. 
Adams says the hope is to get at least 10 houses constructed in the next five years with the starting prices of at least $200,000. Alacorn is focused on higher market housing. O'Neill says the development could spur growth in other needs such as workforce housing. If you can get somebody to start you know, building and selling some of these higher market rate homes, then that might entice you know, someone who has, an op- has a plan to come in and be able to build some market rate stuff or some other type of subsidized type of housing that gets you into that workforce kind of uh, housing cost. Because uh, right now it's all about what does it cost and our construction costs are just Adams and Red Oak Mayor Shauna Sylvia say the discussion also comes at a good time with the housing readiness assessment underway, which will help identify the community's needs in terms of type and cost of housing. Nebraska City is another community aiming at improving its housing stock. By unanimous vote Tuesday night, the Nebraska City City Council approved the first reading of an ordinance for the purchase of 27 acres of property near CHI Health St. Mary's Hospital for construction of up to 40 units designed to meet the community's housing needs. The commissioners took action following a public hearing on the proposed $460,000 purchase. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Nebraska City Mayor Brian Beckett says the project is based in input received from five town hall meetings regarding the use of the city's $1.2 million in American Rescue Plan Act funding. We went out and started looking at the pieces of property around town or adjacent to uh, city limits that we could start looking to start purchasing and platting and moving down the road to developing to uh, interest a developer to come in and build homes because our inventory is really low. Beckett says the city's major employers are pushing for additional housing. Our big employers here, American Meter, Honeywell, and Cargill, they've all said they could expand all of their shifts for a second and a third if they had more folks. And then Wayfair, the owner, has contacted the council and sent us a note to let them know that he'd like to do a capital investment to improve his production, which would mean more folks, and his concern was bringing in folks and being able to have them somewhere close to take it to house. The mayor adds prospective new residents are also looking for more housing in the community. I know when folks come, do come to town, they tell us that they had a hard time looking. There wasn't a whole lot of inventory. At one point, I think we had eight homes on the market. That's how low we were. Our housing studies over the last two, uh, we do them every 10 years. The last two have said we do have a shortage of inventory. So we're hoping that you know, this would give a chance, folks, if they want to move up to a little newer, more modern house or a little bigger, then that would do that. It might open up whatever they're owning or in right now. We'd kind of start the cycle and get things moving here in town with a little more inventory. The ordinance's second reading takes place at the council's next regular meeting later this month. It's been a whirlwind first month for Mills County's new top public health official. Lori Ann Gentry took over as the county's new public health administrator in late May. Gentry succeeds Julie Lines, who retired after 32 years with the agency. A Northeast Kansas native, Gentry holds bachelor's degrees in business administration from Kansas Wesleyan University and in accounting from the University of Oklahoma. She has worked in finance and management positions for the last 25 years. Gentry was living in Pacific Junction when the Missouri River flooding devastated the community in March 2020. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Gentry says that experience led her to seek the Mills County position. I remember how wonderful everybody was in Mills County and how everybody, you know, came together as a community 
and helped out. So that was one reason is I just wanted to give back to the community that supported me when I needed them most. One of Gentry's first tasks is continuing to monitor COVID-19. Mills County recently dropped from a medium to low risk in terms of COVID. 65% of the population 12 and over are fully vaccinated as of earlier this week, while 75% have at least one vaccine dose. Gentry says her office is also receiving reports of tick-borne diseases, including West Nile virus. In addition, Iowa's first case of the monkeypox was reported recently, though not in Mills County. Anyone with questions regarding COVID vaccinations or other health issues should contact Mills County Public Health at 712-527-9699. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.